Has there ever been a time when you've been in between things? In between things, not where you were, not where you want to be, but but in between. As you think about that today, maybe, maybe there's been a time when you've been in between jobs. Maybe you're part of the great resignation. At the end of last year, 20 million Americans just went in and quit their jobs. And maybe you quit your job and now you're in between jobs. You don't have a new job yet. Or maybe in the past you've been fired or laid off and you just, there's a time when you had a job. Now there's a time that you don't and you want another job. Have you ever been in between jobs? Maybe you've been in between homes. Maybe you've recently sold your home because the real estate market's under such a boom and you got more than you ever wanted for your, ever dreamed you could get for your house and it sold faster than you ever thought you could sell it. And then all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, what are we going to do? And you realize that house that we want, we're gonna to have to pay more than we wanted and we don't wanna do that. And so now maybe you're in a, in a in a smaller place, you're in a duplex, you're in an apartment, but you're in between the home that you had and the home that you want. Maybe in the past uh, you've been evicted and now you find yourself homeless and you're in between homes. Have you ever been in between? Maybe it's not a job, maybe it's not a home, maybe it's a, a relationship. And as we approach Valentine's Day, maybe uh, you're a junior in high school and all the way through this year so far, you've had a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you've been so excited to, to get to Valentine's Day and then get to prom, but all of a sudden that relationship's over and now you're in between relationships and you have nobody to give you a Valentine's card. You have nobody to invite you to prom. What's going to happen? Maybe you're not a high schooler. Maybe you've been engaged before and once you were engaged, now the engagement's off and maybe you've been married and a spouse has died or a divorce has happened. Has there ever been a time when you've been in between things? Most of us are either in between something, coming out of being in between something, or going into an in-between time. That's the wilderness journey that we find the children of Israel on. And one of the things that's so hard about the in-between times is, first of all, is that in-between times are, are so difficult because they're unfamiliar. They're unfamiliar. What worked back then isn't working now. Old habits and old patterns uh, just don't work anymore. And you're, it's just unfamiliar territory and you're not sure how to navigate through. Not only is it unfamiliar, it's it's uncertain. You, you could count on certain things about that person you were in a relationship with, certain things about that job, certain things about that home. And now there's just uncertainty about all of those things. Will the job be the same? Will the house be different? Will the road to work be longer? There's just so many things that are uncertain. It's unfamiliar. It's uncertain. And thirdly, in between times are so hard because it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. Maybe you've moved from one house and now you're in a smaller place and you had your own bedroom before. Now you're sharing bedroom with siblings and maybe you just are feeling tight and confined and, and cramped. It's just uncomfortable and you, you just don't know how to navigate. It's unfamiliar, it's uncertain, and it's uncomfortable. It's in between. As we dig into God's Word today, Exodus chapter 15, 22 through chapter 17, verse 7, we're going to find God's people, the children of Israel, in the wilderness journey. They're in between where they were and where God had promised they would be. And it is unfamiliar, it is uncertain, and it is uncomfortable. And I want you to have that in mind right now as Pastor Wooldridge reads for us the scriptures, Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community left the desert of sin, moving from one place to another at the command of the Lord. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there to drink. They complained to Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses answered, Why are you complaining? Why are you putting the Lord to the test? But the people were very thirsty, continued to complain to Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
Moses prayed earnestly to the Lord and said, What can I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Take some of the leaders of Israel with you and go ahead of the people. Take along the stick with which you struck the Nile. I will stand before you on a rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Moses did so in the presence of the leaders of Israel. The place was named Massa and Mirabah because the Israelites complained and put the Lord to the test when they asked, is the Lord with us or not? Here's what I want to ask everyone that's listening to do right now, unless you are listening to the podcast and you're driving down the road in your vehicle, if it is physically possible and does not put you in harm, I need you to grab a copy of God's Word. Maybe you want to grab a hard copy of God's Word. Maybe you want to grab an electronic copy. I need everyone to have a copy of God's Word in your hands. We're going to look through Genesis 15, 22 through 17, 1, and I need you to engage with the Scripture. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. You go find a copy of God's Word and you open it up to Genesis 15 verse Now that you've got a copy of God's Word in your hand, we're going to start in Genesis 15, 22. We're going to read part of chapter 15, part of chapter 16, and then we're going to zero in on chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. But I want you to see the picture, and I want you to understand what's going on here. And oftentimes we read this passage of Scripture, and we criticize the children of Israel for their behavior. But remember, their lives right now are in between. It's uncomfortable, it is unfamiliar, and it is uncertain. And so we often live in those cases, in those times, and we need to understand, because if nothing else, my friends, we are in a time like that together. We are coming out of a pandemic, but we're not completely out of the pandemic. We're coming out of an old way of doing things. And some of people say, what's the new normal? What is going to look like? None of us know. And our tendency in this time that's unfamiliar, uncertain, and un uncomfortable is to want to do exactly what the children of Israel did in their lives, spiritually speaking. And so let's just dig into this. I want you to start to see the pattern. Genesis 15, 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. You remember what God has done. The children of Israel were in bondage 430 years, and they cried out to God, and God heard their cry, saw their misery, and he was concerned, and he sent them a rescuer and a redeemer named Moses. And Moses said, here's God's promise. God says, I'm going to bring you out from under the bondage of the Egyptians. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to crush your enemies. I am going to redeem you. I'm going to do what you can't do for yourselves, and I'm going to take you and to be my very own, and I'm going to be your God. And they cried out, and God in powerful and miraculous ways began to rescue them. And we saw him 10 plagues that, and Pharaoh's heart grew harder after the first nine. And finally Pharaoh said, okay, go worship God like you said you're going to go. And the children of Israel, as the Passover happened and the angel of death passed over, he saw the blood on the on the doorposts and on the lentils. And by the way, if you haven't heard any of these sermons, you can go to our YouTube channel, Miami Valley, and just look and you can catch up on this Red Sea Road journey as we're going through all of the scriptures. And we find ourselves in the Exodus material, uh, the wilderness wanderings, the books of Exodus.
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But now they found themselves at the Red Sea and there's an obstacle in front of them. Pharaoh's army's crashing in behind them and God parts the Red Sea and the children of Israel walk through on dry land and then Pharaoh's army pursues and the water swallow them up and God does what he said he's going to do. And now they set out from the Red Sea and look what it says. Uh, they went three days, uh, three days in and there's no water. Can you think about going to a time when there's no water? Does that seem unfamiliar? Does that seem uncertain? Does that seem uncomfortable? What's going to happen? And you need to understand this is the, the Sinai Desert. This is a time when, when dehydration isn't going to take place over days. It's going to take place in a matter of hours. When those the water that is in their, in their uh, pouches is going to be gone, they have nothing else. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 24, and the people grumbled. Look at that word. Highlight that word in your text. They grumbled against Moses and said, what shall we drink? And we hear that they grumbled. Like, what kind of attitude is that? That's the attitude of somebody who is uncomfortable, uncertain, and in an unfamiliar territory. We don't know what to do. We don't like this. We prefer things that are certain. We prefer things that are comfortable. And we prefer things that are familiar. And so they begin to grumble. Verse 25, And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet, the water became drinkable. Seems like a weird way for water to become drinkable. Hey, there's a log, toss it into the water. God, in a miraculous way, provides water. Verse 26, listen to this. The end of 25, Then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ears to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. God says the same thing two different ways. Look, he says, Diligently listen to the voice of your of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. Then he says it again. Give ear to his commandments. Listen diligently to the voice of the Lord your God. Keep his statutes. Do what he says. God says, I want you to listen to my voice and I want you to do what I say. Listen to my voice and do what I say. Listen to my voice and do what I say. This is the test that God puts on them as they are in a place that again is unfamiliar, uncomfortable, and uncertain. God says the most important thing you can do in this time is learn to hear my voice. The most important thing you can do is when I speak, you obey. My friend, if you ever find yourself in between, in a time that's unfamiliar, uncertain, and uncomfortable, task number one is to tune into God's voice like you never have before. That's why we have been encouraging you spend time in God's Word. When it comes to God's Word, we have to, we have to let it in. Or encouraging you between now and Easter Sunday to listen to all of God's Word. And you have so many resources that are available to you. And yes, it can be done between now and Easter. We can listen to all of God's Word. There there are apps that you can just let God's word be read to you and you can speed it up and listen to it at the pace you can hear, but let it in and then we need to let it root and we need to let it grow. God's word says this, Psalm 119, verse 19. Psalm 119, verse 19. Maybe you want to jot that down in the journal that you're keeping. Psalm 119, 19. I am but a pilgrim here on earth. How I need a map and your commands are my chart and guide. We've said as we've been going through this journey, Psalm 77 says this, uh, your path or uh, your road led to a pathway through the sea a pathway no one knew was there that God is showing us a pathway and how do we get to that pathway by listening diligently to the voice of God how do we listen diligently to the voice of God by going to his word my friend the word that we've been given to hold on to is a word that tests our soul until the promise finds its fulfillment God speaks his word and we have to hold on to that until his promise is fulfilled and the people grumble chapter 16 so chapter 15 no water and they grumble God hears the grumbling and he gives them water. Chapter 16, it's not about 
water. It's about food. Now we're not three days into the journey. Now we're about 45 days into the journey. Chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, 45 days in, three days in, no water. 45 days in, no food. Verse 16, chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. There's that word again. Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This is a real need. No water, no food. That's a real need. Would you agree not to have water, not to have food? Verse 3 of chapter 16. And the people of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, no food. Take us back to those places that are familiar, certain, and comfortable. Because at least we know what we had then. But are they forgetting that they were slaves, that they were under bondage, that they were being treated harshly, that they cried out that they wanted out of that situation, that that situation wasn't good for them? At least then, in the familiar, the comfortable, and the certain, we knew what to do. Verse 4 of chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God said, In your unfamiliar, uncertain, and uncomfortable places, listen to my voice. And when you listen to my voice, I'm going to test you to see if you're going to do what I said to do. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 3. Happy are those whose lives are faultless, who live according to the law of the Lord. Happy are those who follow His commands, who obey Him with all of their heart. They never do wrong. They walk in all the Lord's ways. My friends, we hear His voice. We let it in. We let it root. We let it grow. And then we obey it. But they're grumbling. No food. No, no water. No food. Chapter 16, verse 6. And I'm going to read through verse 8. Listen to what the refrain is. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Do you hear a theme? They grumble, God hears. They grumble, God hears. Verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. They grumble, God hears. They grumble, God hears. Verse 10, And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. You have a need. And you grumble and you complain. God hears your grumbling. We want to criticize the children of Israel for grumbling about the needs. The word really means to complain. They were just complaining. God, we have a need for water. Are you going to give us water? God, we have a need for food. Are you going to give us food? And God's word tells us that our God shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. That's his promise. And God, they grumble, God hears. They grumble, God hears. And then they see the glory of the Lord. Then look at verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. What's he want them to know? I'm the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who has uh, brought you out from bondage. I'm the one who's delivered you. I'm the one who's redeemed you. I'm the one who's taken you to be my very own. I am the Lord your God. Verse 13, And in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay on the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the willers, on the ground, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people saw it, they said to one another, What is it? And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Remember what their complaint was? Back in Egypt, it was, we had a good. We had pots full of meat. 
and we stuffed ourselves full of bread. And God said, here's all the meat you can have and the quail that was on the ground. And by the way, the bread that I'm going to send you, they call it, what is it? That was the name, what is it? They had never seen it before. And one of the things they'd never seen before was they didn't have to bake it. It was ready to eat. It was ready to go. God was doing something exceedingly abundantly beyond all they could imagine. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. God said, just take enough for the day, and I'll give you then enough for tomorrow. And then when it comes to the day before the Sabbath, take enough for two days. It won't spoil, it won't rot. You'll have enough for two days, but just take enough for the day. And the Lord said to Moses, verse 28, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my laws? God was testing them. Will you listen to my voice? Will you do what I say? I will meet every need that you have day by day if you will just trust me. It's what Jesus taught us to pray, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Most of us in unfamiliar, un uncertain and uncomfortable times, we want bread for the decade. We want bread for the week. We don't just want bread for the day, but God's promise is to give you more than you can, just enough for every single day. Do you trust him? The word we've been given to hold on to is a word that tests our soul until the promise finds fulfillment. They grumble, no water. God hears, gives them water in a miraculous way. They grumble, no food. God hears their grumbling. God gives them food in a miraculous way. Now chapter 17. You heard it read earlier and I want to read it again for you. Chapter 17 verses 1 through 7 because something shifts, something changes. And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled. Different word. They're no longer grumbling. They are now quarreling. They quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Three days in, no water, they grumbled. Forty-five days in, no food, they grumbled. Now they're further into this journey, no water, and they quarrel. Verse 3 of chapter 17, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people quarreled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you have struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested, by the, tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? They grumbled, and God heard and met their need. They quarrel against God, and something else happens. We miss it in our English translation. This, this word quarrel is a, is a legal term. This word quarrel is a, a legal accusation. This word quarrel is like, I'm suing you for this reason. And now all of a sudden we see three things because this, this lawsuit has been filed. We see a, a trial, we see a verdict, and then I want you to see the bigger picture. We see the trial and we see the verdict. God's people in chapter 17 say to Moses, there's no water to drink. Why did you read, lead us here and there's no water to drink? Their very life is like, this is serious. They could die at any moment. And so they're going to file a charge, verse 2. So they quarreled. They filed a legal suit with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Notice this word quarrel comes up there in verse 2. Then again in verse 7, Moses renamed the place Massah and Meribah, which means testing and quarreling. The word quarrel is the, the launching of a, of a lawsuit. 
that we're quarrelless to, to launch this lawsuit. And so what's the charge? The charge is negligence. Negligence. Verse 3, why did you bring us out to Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? You've been negligent in the way you've led us. We're charging you with negligence. The negligence is going to lead to our death. What's the penalty for negligence? Well, evidently, verse 4 tells us it's death, at least the death of Moses. Moses says, Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do this with these people? They're almost ready to storm me. They become judge, jury, and executioner. They've charged me with neg negligence. They found me guilty, and now I'm going to die. But we find out that the defendant actually isn't Moses. The defendant, the person that the children of Israel are really filing a lawsuit against, the people that the children of Israel are really accusing of negligence isn't Moses or Aaron, it's God himself. Verse seven, he called the place Messiah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled him because they tested the Lord and said, is the Lord among us or not? The real issue isn't that Moses is on trial here. The real issue is that God's on trial. God had provided for them over and over. God had pro provided for them a miraculous deliverance. He provided for them under the plagues and he let, set them free. He provided for them under the power and the Red Sea parted. He provided them water when they had no water, food when they had no food. Over and over again, God had provided a miraculous way and yet they charge him with negligence on a mass scale because they're living in a time that is unfamiliar, uncertain, and uncomfortable. And their grumbling and their complaint now turns into accusation. My friend, this incident in chapter 17 is not about grumbling, it's not about complaint, it's about accusing God. When we grumble and complain, there's doubt, and all of us struggle with doubt. On one occasion, uh, a man cried out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I have doubts, and I don't understand, and we're struggling. But we still let God be God. When we accuse God, we set, up our, set ourselves up as uh, rulers and judges over God. God, if I could do it, I would have done it differently. I could have done it better. I never would have been negligent. We set ourselves up over God, and that just re reminds us that we have a problem. And the problem goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when God had spoken to his children and he said, all of this is yours. Only that tree over there because God reserves a portion for himself. Don't eat from that tree. And in Genesis 3, a, a, an enemy, a deceiver, a liar comes along and he says, did God really say? Because if the enemy can get us to doubt God's word, he can get us to ditch God's way. And these people have doubt that God really said. That's why God said, in this time of testing, I'm testing you, will you diligently listen to my voice and will you do what I say? Diligently listen to my voice and do what I say. And this happens over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. But we do this all the time. We do this all the time when we're uncomfortable, uncertain, and live in an unfamiliar place. What's going to happen to this trial? The charge, the accusation is, God, you've been negligent. And the verdict is issued. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. This is just amazing to me. God says, the Lord says to Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders. Remember, Moses' question was, what am I going to do with these people? They're about ready to kill me. Go out in front of the people, take with you some elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with you, struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of all the elders. Check out what's going to happen. God says to Moses, okay, they want to have a trial. Let's have a trial. Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out in front of the people, take some of the elders with you. But I want you to take that rod, that staff, 
the one you use to strike the Nile. Remember what happened when Moses struck the Nile, the water turned to blood. It is, it is the rod, it is the staff of judgment, it is the staff of death. Can you imagine what's going on in the people of Israel when they've grumbled and they filed lawsuit against Moses and against God, and now all of a sudden Moses and the elders of Israel parade themselves in front of him, him carrying the rod of judgment. Uh-oh, what do we sign up for? Are they going to let us have it? We're not judge and jury. Evidently, Moses is the judge and the elders are the jury. And Moses is going to be the executioner because he's come to kill somebody. And so Moses passes in front of the people. The rod of God, Isaiah the prophet talks about this uh, before uh, or later. Isaiah 30, verses 31 and 32. The voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. With his rod, he will strike them down. Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing club will be music to the trembles music of trembles and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his rod it is the rod of punishment it is the rod of death my friends and god says do and i think the children of israel at that time they're starting to tremble they made an accusation against moses and in turn an accusation against god but now it appears uh oh we're in trouble and then one of the most incredible plot twists of all the bible happens in verse six god still speaking says behold I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. I need you to understand this. In the Old Testament, God stands before nobody. People stand before God. And when people stand before God, they bow in fear and in worship. God stands before no man. But here God says, okay, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna stand on the rock. Don't miss that. I will stand before you there on the rock. Later on, some of the biblical writers, some of the songwriters are going to retell this story in song and they re refer to God as the rock, Psalm 78, 35. They remember that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. Psalm 95, one, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout to the rock of our salvation. But my friends, God says, I'm gonna stand on the rock. In our terms, it would be this. Will the defendant please rise? You've been accused. And now it's time for the verdict. God was not guilty. God had done nothing wrong. God had provided for them miraculously over and over again. Yet Israel makes this unjust accusation. God, you've been negligent and somebody deserves to die. And now at the command of God, Moses's rod strikes the rock. Maybe we should put it this way. Moses's rod strikes God himself. Not because he's guilty, but because the people are guilty. He gets the punishment they deserve. Some of the people that interpret the Old Testament and talk about the Old Testament, oh, the God of the Old Testament, he's just harsh and cruel and a God of vengeance. My friend, the God of the Old Testament is also a God of compassion and justice, a God who takes the place of punishment that his people deserve. If you don't understand that, see that in Exodus chapter 17, verses 6 and 7. God took their place. But I want you to see not just the trial and the verdict and how beautiful that is. I want you to see the bigger picture, that we are all part of a punishment that's going to take place. And that God does the exact same thing. In the coming years, Israel's gonna wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This is at the beginning, just a few days, months into the journey where they file accusation of lawsuit against God. 40 years later, Numbers chapter 20, a generation has died. It's the children who've been raised in the wilderness and they too quarrel, file a lawsuit against Moses and against God. The journey in the wilderness is bookended by quarreling accusations against God. And we wonder how could people do that? Hasn't God rescued and delivered them day by day? Yes, but my friends, how can we do it? We do it because we are uncomfortable. We're in a place that's unfamiliar and we are uncertain about what the future holds. And we would just say, God, it would have been better if you would have just left us there. Let, take us back to what's familiar, to what's certain, to what's comfortable.
but I need you to see this bigger, bigger picture. These failures lead us to ask the question, what's going to happen to us when we file a complaint against God? What's going to happen to us when we file an accusation against God? The New Testament has the answer. Listen to this beautiful verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, talking about the wilderness period. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus went in front of them, and he stood on the rock, and he said, I will take your punishment, the punishment that you deserve for your sin, I will take. It's why Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53 about Jesus. Surely he took our pain and he bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is going to put it a different way. He says, if you're thirsty, come and I will give you water and you'll drink of that and you will never thirst again. Jesus took our punishment and he offers us water that quenches our thirst forever and ever Here's how I'd like to end with you today. When you find yourself in a place that's uh, unfamiliar, uncertain, and uncomfortable, complain all you want. Complain all you want. God says it's okay. God will grumble. He will hear your complaints, and he will meet your need. I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. Psalm 142 says this. I pour out my complaints before him. I tell all my troubles to him. He wants to hear, and he will meet your need. That's what he's promised to do. It's always okay to complain but it's never okay to accuse. It's never okay to cross that line and put yourself in the place of God. Be honest with God, but don't you dare think that you know better than God. Why do you quarrel with me, God says? Why do you test the Lord? And the question is this, bottom line, is the Lord among us or not? That's what there was, it boils down to this, will you trust him? It's about the mistrust of God. To mistrust God means to be suspicious of or lack confidence in Him. But it's not just about the mistrust of God, it's about the distrust of God. To distrust somebody is to doubt the honesty or reliability of. When God has spoken and we doubt His honesty or reliability, we distrust Him. If we're just suspicious of Him, we mistrust Him. But it comes back to this, will you listen diligently to His voice? Listen to chapter 15, Exodus again. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, Basically what he's saying is this. Here's what I want to know. Will you trust me and will you do good? That's our verse for the decade. Trust the Lord and do good. Psalm 37, 3. Trust the Lord and do good. Will you know his voice? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to know, has there ever been a time when you've accepted Jesus' taking the punishment for you? Pictured there as he stood on the rock. God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for you. He took your punishment. If you've never done that, would you do that today? Or if today you find yourself in between, in a place that's unfamiliar, uncertain, and uncomfortable, are you grumbling and complaining or are you accusing? There's a difference, and God wants to deal with you there. I want to pray, and then I want to ask you to do something. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that Jesus took our place on the rock, and thank you that he took uh, that was called Calvary. Thank you that he endured and exhausted divine judgment that we should have received. May we find comfort in our life and comfort in his death. We look to Jesus, our rock, this day. In his name I pray. As you're meeting in your house church, here's how we're going to end today. I want to ask you, have your Bibles, and I want you to go to your Bibles, and I want you to share in your house church. And if you're watching online, I want you to share in the online comment section. I want to know 
what did you hear God say to you in his word today? Read that verse out loud and tell people what you've heard. And then I want you to do something that's even harder. Tell people how you're going to obey. What have you heard God say? And what are you going to do to obey? And maybe what you've heard God say is simply, let me get you started is, I need to be listening to his voice and doing what he says. And talk about how you can get into God's word, let it in, let it root, let it grow. Jesus loves you and he took your place. Have a great discussion, center it on God's word. He is God, he is good. Will you trust him and do good today?